Welcome to episode 119 of the Red Zone Restricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by James Martin to discuss the 2 0 win over Wolves and preview Sunday's game against Manchester United. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So it looked here like Liverpool were heading for yet another draw until inside the last 20 minutes when Virgil van Dijk finally gave the Reds the lead. And then just four minutes later, Mohamed Salah doubled that advantage, Liverpool prevailing 2-0 against Wolves, the team who'd beat them 3-0 about a month ago. So it was nice to get revenge on that front. It's a result that leaves them six points outside the Premier League's top four uh, behind Tottenham Hotspur. They do have a game in hand. And it's worth noting as well that technically Newcastle would be in the top four if they won their game in hand. But I think everyone is maybe assuming that that they might run out of steam a little bit. So we'll see how it pans out with that one. Um, let's start with our three red match reviews, though, James. Uh, yeah, I went with more like it. Um, definitely a much improved performance, like you say, a, a marked contrast to, to the 3-0 against the, the same opposition not all that long ago in, in the grand scheme of things. Um thought the defence looked a lot better. I know we've kept, I think, four clean sheets in the league on the trot now, but this looked... By far, the, by far the most secure of, of that set. Um, so that was encouraging. And then then finding a way to grind out the win as well. That was the main difference. I mean, we saw against Crystal Palace, there was just no cutting edge at all. We've not scored beyond the 50th minute. Or I think we've done it once in the last 14 games or something. So that was a nice change of pace. Um, yeah, it's still not the Reds that you know we, we know and love, but it's getting closer. I agree with that. And... Um... We, we still need to find a formula that allows us to, I think, be solid defensively whilst reaching the attack and heights that, that we've hit. I mean, one thing that intrigued me this week, I was, I was looking at an article about Barcelona because Xavi made a comment, I think, last week saying, you know, they were the the best attacking team in Europe or the most exciting, certainly. So the, the article was going through and it was ranking all like the, the teams in the big five leagues with all the attacking metrics, like expected goals, chances created, things like that. And in a lot of them tables, you're seeing Liverpool in the top five, in the top ten still. And I think that emphasises that, you know, I think they're, they're even having more shots than Arsenal. We know good Arsenal have been this season. Um, that emphasises that actually going forward, while things have been a little bit dysfunctional at times, Liverpool are still creating like very high volumes of chances and they look like still quite strong as an attacking force. But these past couple of games, it's been like maybe a little bit more defensive solidity but has that kind of come at the expense of of that attack and threat which was actually um looking really strong so i think i still think club needs to find the balance between those two things in terms of my three-year match review i've gone with um ugly sorry one ugly again um and it, it touches on really something that you were um mentioning there james i mean this Liverpool team, I think, especially in the nineteen twenty season, but to a degree, um, in eighteen nineteen and and twenty one twenty two as well, built a lot of its success on on winning games ugly and not on winning when it wasn't at its best, and um, to the point where we kind of it came to be an assumption for us that we would prevail, um, and really after that game against Palace at the weekend. It was kind of a reflection that I had. Like the Liverpool of previous years would have won that, um, even if they had played, you know, as badly as we did um for, for large periods. Um and it just felt like we weren't able to really recapture that. I mean, I was looking through all the games this season and if you're looking at games where we have, you know, one ugly, 
I think, you know, that Newcastle game in August where Cavalio scores the really scruffy winner. Um, and obviously Leicester would be the biggest one when we, we have two own goals um, and in an otherwise poor performance. But other than that, that was really it. So that was what was really encouraging about last night. I mean, I, I got into a bit of a discussion on Twitter about whether you would constitute that as an ugly win. I just think, you know, the fact that we hadn't, we created kind of one decent chance before we scored, um, or certainly before the disallowed goal with that Elliot header, didn't necessarily look like we were going to um, be able to score, in my opinion. Um, and the, I think even the goal was a little bit ugly in, in itself, to be fair, with with the rebound too, although it was a quality of delivery from, from Trent in the first place. So, so that was um, really pleasing to see, uh, that return. And the other thing I would say is, is um, along the same, similar lines as you, James, about the defence. And you, you bang on with the clean sheets. I mean, the clean sheets that I've always thought are kind of overrated. I mean, Liverpool have, in the past have had some really solid defensive performances, been beaten by a world, you know, clean sheets. And then there's been times they've ridden their luck so much and got one. Newcastle's probably the best example of that recently. But even Everton and Palace, you know, they didn't have too many chances, but they both hit the woodwork. Last night, though, um, I think much more solid. Obviously, Canate coming back as well. Big boost. Um, Alisson with only one real save to make in the game, which I think was quite quite an easy one. Um, so that was really good to see as well. Um, so sort of, if we can kind of take that solidity and maybe be a little bit flow a little bit better as an, as an attack um, that that we did yet than we did yesterday, then. Um, it's something to uh, something to build on for sure. Um, just before we move on to some of the players, James Liverpool used a, a new midfield yesterday. I, I'm fairly certain that hasn't started before in uh, Fabinho, Elliot, and Bicetic, and then an attack as well who haven't started together as a three. They've only started together as a four. What did you think of those kind of new um, new setups from Klopp? I mean, yeah, it's there were definitely promising signs. Um, Fabinho, in particular, was, was by far the most improved. I, I don't know whether you can attribute that to the new midfield three he was part of. I, I don't really know what to attribute it to, to be honest. But it was a pleasant surprise seeing the sort of old Fabinho back. He was he was snapping into tackles. They weren't just breaking up counter attacks. They were setting Liverpool on their own way as well. Particularly in the first half, there were two or three instances where he he would win the ball back, and then you know Liverpool would be away and and, and having a chance at at that end, uh, which was really positive to see. Um, that's that's sort of the balance that Klopp has to strike. We've been talking about striking balances a lot already, but with Fabinho and with Bicetic, it's a case of, well, who do you play where when you've got them both in the same midfield? Personally, I do prefer Bicetic in that deeper role as well, where, where Fabinho was playing. I, I thought there were there were moments again where he looked a little bit uncertain when he when he drove forward. There was maybe a pass on, and he wasn't sure when to play it, where to play it. It's it's not even a criticism because you know he's so young. He's playing a completely new position. He'd been playing at centre back until not too long ago, so I wouldn't dig him out for it. But I thought there were those moments again. Uh, but on the other hand, with this new midfield, you've got Elliot, who is um, of course a very natural attacker, a very natural progressor of the ball. I thought he made the right side look a lot better. His interchanges with Trent, with Salah, that's always what he brings to the team when he does play in that right-sided midfield role. But there's there's a balancing act to be done there as well because, I mean, what's been talked about a lot is, uh, is of course, the, the defensive impact of playing him in the middle. I, I thought 
maybe because Fabinho and Bajetic were the other two in there today, that was maybe mitigated, sorry, yesterday, that was uh, that was mitigated to some extent, you know, like we said, Wolves didn't have many big chances, there weren't too many scary counter-attacking situations, even when Adama came on, so so that was that was managed quite well, but I suppose on the flip side, you're bringing him in for his attacking presence in the team, and, and then he missed a sitter, um, which, which could have proved costly, so yeah, it's... Um, there were things that worked and things that didn't with that trio. I wouldn't be averse to seeing it again in, in some guys. But um, yeah, I think maybe if we, if the sort of the rest of the formation was tweaked into a kind of more of a four-two-three-one, maybe that's the future of that of that particular trio because then you can have sort of Fabinho by Setic as, as the sort of double pivot, if you like, with Elliot with even more freedom in that kind of number ten role. So yeah, there's things to work with there. Uh, and as for the front line. I thought it worked worked quite well. Um, it you know the result skews the analysis so much because, like you say, we were 20 minutes from another Palace game, and then we say the attack was completely blunt. There weren't enough high quality chances, and that that is true to some extent. But but you know that that's where we are at the minute. If the defence looks solid, then the attack's not going to be completely free flowing. Um, I, I mentioned in a piece actually that it's basically. Um, it's interesting the the, uh, the seasons you picked out to compare it to. You, you skipped over 2020-2021, which uh, I think is possibly the best parallel at the minute in the sense that in in the in the run in there, Liverpool sort of battened down the hatches. It wasn't the Liverpool we'd we'd grown accustomed to, but it was it was an effective one at, at grinding out results, narrow results, often based on clean sheets. Um, and I think obviously players are coming back from injury, so it's not the same sort of crisis, but. There's been a crisis in recruitment. The midfield is, does not have the personnel it needs to have, even with everyone fit, to to be the Liverpool that Klopp wants the team to be long term. So, I think until we reach the transfer window, we are sort of in that that crisis mode, and um, and that means trying to keep things tight and the, the attackers just making the best of what they can. And um, and yeah, I don't necessarily think this front three clicked together amazingly well, but they all have bags of individual quality, and and ultimately. That was enough with with a bit of help from Van Dijk, of course. Yeah, it's easy to forget um, how effective Liverpool were at the end of that twenty twenty one season. Um, I suppose, um, and I mean, with these kind of new selections, it's just you know you look at the Liverpool lineup yesterday, and the midfield does still stand out as a weakness. Certainly, I think in terms of like you know inexperience and, and Fabinho being out of form, um, and then with the front line, it's like. Part of me wonders if Nunez and Jota are too similar to be kind of starting together. Um, I kind of Nunez is, is getting better on the ball. I mean, he deserves credit for that. When he first came in, I was thinking, you know, maybe he is going to be someone who let's just get him on the ball in the penalty area. But he, he's been he's been better with that than I thought he would be. I just think still that you want kind of an attacker in there who's, who's more comfortable, more comfortable on the ball, more comfortable kind of um, with the link up play side of things um, and even you know dribbling too uh, and that's maybe where I'd, you know I'd want you know Diaz in the team who, who's you know going to be back in a couple of weeks or um, or Gakpo for example maybe even for me you know too um, I'm just thinking I think the balance might have been a little bit off um, that's not to say both of them didn't play well in their in their own right obviously Jota um, gets the assist for the goal and um Arguably should have had an assist for that um, disallowed goal. Just while we're on that, actually, what what did you think of of that decision? Um, I didn't actually, I didn't actually sort of see it back properly. I, I just knew that he'd obviously awarded the foul, but but what did you make of that? 
I thought it was a bit of a shocker, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with him saying that Jota's fouled his man. Um, you know, it's. I think you're still playing with the with the meaning of clear and obvious, and I think you're you're sort of on the edge of that to call that a foul. But to then not go back and see why Jota was sort of sprawled at the feet of I think it was Max Kilman at that particular point in play is what was really baffling to me because you know he'd essentially been hauled to the ground and then taken out Max Kilman's feet in the process. So if you're going to disallow the goal, you then have to go back and give the penalty. I think um, which wasn't even talked about on the uh, on the commentary I was listening to but yeah I mean it's uh, I, I, I don't understand it it's I, I'm glad we won put it that way otherwise I'd be even more fuming but um, still still slightly fuming given that I I went for the bold call of triple captaining Nunes in uh, fantasy Premier League this week which uh, horrendously backfired but um, but yeah no it was it, it was it was a bad call for me yeah I think um it's just it's when when the referee goes over to the monitor, they're going over with the the intention to overturn it. Um, you think maybe should the referee? I mean, it's always going to be in the back of their mind, but should the referee be going over and and just the the system referees instead of saying, "I think this is a foul," go and have a look. Just say, just go and check that again, just to make sure you're happy with the decision. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the way that they do it. Um, so I wonder if that um would have been. Just sort of generally a better way to uh, to operate, but you already mentioned Fabinho, who who I thought had one of his best performances of the season last night. I mean, those moments where he's kind of winning the ball back, that was on the front foot. It's like you could easily have forgot that the rest of the season had happened watching those. Um, and and also we've got to be careful to you know not get carried away because I think that he's had kind of good games here and there this season. I think it's some of his best games. Um, I've been at the World Cup as well. Um, and and that's when I kind of thought, oh, he did just need a rest. You know, he he, ha- he is just knackered. Um, now, now that he's kind of got that, um, he'll be fine. He'll be back to his best. That kind of didn't materialise. Um, so, you know, he's still kind of try- trying to work out what it is and, and whether the solution's been found. But certainly much better than him yesterday, m- much more like his old self. And, and one of the players to touch on, is Virgil van Dijk, who obviously scored. But I thought, apart from that, James put in a, a really solid defensive performance too to follow up on um, the weekend where, he, again, he was arguably Liverpool's best player. Yeah, I'd agree. It's, it's another one where I think all the all Liverpool fans will be naturally cautious anyway because on an individual level and on a team level, we've seen so many sort of promising moments where it looks like things are back to their best and then they're just not... And I think maybe a word of caution on Wolves as well. Obviously, it's easy to to talk about the improvement given that they put three past us so recently, but they're not a free-flowing, free-scoring team. Um, you know, they've they they made they signed Kalajdzic, didn't they? In the summer, who then was unfortunately injured basically straight away. They've been lacking that kind of focal point basically ever since. Um, so you know, it, it's not necessarily the biggest test that the Liverpool defence will have all season. But yeah, I mean, you can only defend what's in front of you and. Um, Van Dijk did that very well. He he looked, yeah. I suppose that's more sort of imperious self that we're used to. Even when, when you know someone like Adama came on, obviously, he's the sort of player who can who can cause that threat. You know, is is one of the few who could maybe beat Van Dijk in a, in a sort of foot race. Uh, but that didn't materialise. I mean, credit to the midfield to, for that as well. Sort of cutting down the the transitions, those moments where Van Dijk has been made to look more vulnerable this season. They they didn't really come about, but. Yeah, when those individual duels were 
were happening, Van Dyke never looked in danger of, of really coming out on the wrong end of them, which again is is ties in with with my my three word summary. Really, it was just a step in the right direction. I'm not going to get carried away, but it, it was nice to see. Yeah, he needs to um, he definitely needs to keep that up over the running, but really positive signs from him uh, over the past couple of games after what's been kind of a a tricky season. Before we move on uh, to the weekend and the Manchester United game, James, is there anybody else? who you feel stood out yesterday and, and deserves kind of an honourable mention? Uh, I'll give Simicat an honourable mention. It's a tricky one, given that, you know, before the assist, he maybe hadn't done too much. But I suppose by the same token, he, he looked pretty solid defensively. Um, there, was, there was one interception. I can't remember if it came before or after his assist, to be honest with you. But it was a, it's a very dangerous balls break, or at least it would have been. And it was one of those balls that was sort of curling in behind to, to, the, to the right winger. And he's on the stretch, sort of cut it out and then got straight back on his feet and, and tackled him because by cutting it out, he took the momentum out of the pass, but hadn't fully stopped it. And then he was straight back up, won the tackle. Dangerous situation, snuffed out. And then, yeah, that telling contribution for the assist, lovely little interchange with Gakpo after he'd come on. And then he made the pass to Salah look easy, but you see those cutbacks go wrong a lot. Um so, yeah, I think it was quite a Robertson-esque performance, really, which is always the highest praise you can give Simakas. Um, yeah, he was defensively solid for the most part and then had, had his say in the final third, even if maybe we'd have wanted him to be a bit more active throughout the game. He, he, you know, he came came up in that moment, so I'll, I'll give him a mention. Yeah, I think he, he, he stuck with it yesterday, is what I'd say for him. And and the same could be said for Liverpool, really. Um Really pleasing to see the team continue to show belief. I think after it would have been really easy to let heads drop as a disallowed goal, especially given what you were saying, James, about um, how few kind of goals they've scored late on in games um, or even in the second half of games recently. But um, they, yeah, they kept fighting through it and got what feels feels like a really, really big win. Um, it's only part one, though, of a kind of double header this week at Anfield that's been billed as a season defining and I fear every kind of sequence of games we've seen now in the end of the season is going to get that label but certainly one of the biggest matches of Liverpool season any year really um, on Sunday as the Reds host Manchester United at Anfield 4.30 kick-off there um, obviously last weekend James we saw United um, almost dethrone Liverpool as uh, Carabao Cup holders um, not, not the most illustrious um, title but, but still obviously their first trophy for, for six years so I just wonder generally before we, we talk about the Liverpool game specifically, what have you kind of made of their improvement this season? I mean, how, how sceptical are you about it and especially kind of the, the level of praise um, Ten Hag has received? Um, it's, it's tricky. Like, on the one hand, Pep Guardiola had a point. He's saying, you know, Manchester United have spent, you know, 1.1 billion net over the past decade or whatever it is. You know, it's 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 almost a minimum requirement that a manager can can come in and uh, and get performances up to this level. But you know, on, on the flip side of that, many managers have, have tried and failed, and equally that spend is is spread out over those managers. So, you know, the squad did look like a bit of a bit of a sort of mishmash of, of ideas of philosophies. Um, obviously, Ten Hag was backed as well, brought in a fair few of his own players. But again, you'd say that's happened before and hasn't really worked out. So. You know, I'm not too sceptical of it. I do think it's worthy of praise. Um, and certainly I'm more worried about facing them than I have been over the past couple of seasons. But but equally, you know, it's not like they're 
they're invincible, that they're definitely improved, but they are in the early stages still of, of this project under Ten Hag. Um, I don't know whether whether it's fair to necessarily draw comparisons to early Klopp just yet. I don't think necessarily um, Ten Hag will go on to be that sort of figure. You know, he'd have to be exceptional if, if he did. But, um, but you know, there's maybe some parallels there in the sense that you can see the direction they're going in, which hasn't been the case for the last well, decade, really. Uh, but they haven't reached it yet. So that there's there's room to upset them. I thought even in that Carabao Cup final, a couple of moments for Newcastle, if they'd gone differently earlier on, would have been a very different game. There was a very dangerous cross that, that came in and just no one was there to stick it in at the back post. Uh, Sam Maximin as well, sort of dancer and forced a good save out of De Gea at the near post. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's it, it's it's one that's still there for the taking. Liverpool shouldn't go into it thinking, oh, this is Manchester United. They're back. There's, there's no way we can we can beat them now. But it it will definitely be a harder task than it would have been even 12 months ago. Yeah, the money thing is is the big question mark, and you know the spending has been incredible since Ferguson. And I understand why a lot of people look at that and say, yeah, this is where United should be. Um, why is Ten Hag getting so much praise? He he is. Um, only where you know he ought to be given the the resource he has at his disposal, and obviously the, the money they spent last summer. I think it, they spent it um, in excess of two hundred million, um, and that's obviously completely understandable. The things I'd say on the other side of that are how many people, in spite of that, expected United to finish in the top four this season. You know, very few, probably. I, I didn't, um, and they're going to do it comfortably. If anything, they're looking upwards um, in the table, and. You know, I think generally as well, United just look like a serious football team again. You know, every time you watch them, you're like, you know, it's not the finished article, but this isn't the kind of, you know, United finished second under Solskjaer. This isn't anything like that. That was a team who, you know, rode its luck a lot and you were like, how on earth are they there? But with United, they look kind of befitting of, of where they are in the table. Um, and I just think he's managed to, you know, to, to be able to do that given the level of dysfunction we've seen at United shouldn't be kind of, underestimates as an achievement and certainly a lot of managers have failed to do that and he's also been able to kind of unite the dressing room too um which is really important so he's done like a very kind of he's done a comprehensively good job so far in terms of you know how he's managed the kind of dynamics at the club i think um as well as kind of obviously the on-field stuff um and you know obviously a couple of the players they they bought in the summer and um in martinez and casemiro have made huge impacts but if we look at the game and you kind of um, mentioned this in your previous answer, James, but I think I'm right in saying that Man United haven't won at Anfield, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, since the 14-15 season um, when Mata scored twice. That feels like, I mean, we, were, we would have both grown up in a spell where Man United were, you know, kind of the the undisputed kings under, under Ferguson and, and victories at Anfield weren't all that irregular, but that certainly feels like one of the longest runs um, that I can remember, if not the longest, um, without that victory. I mean, how nervous are you this time that United are actually capable capable of ending that? Because, like I say, they do look now like a much more of a force than they have in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, firstly, I'm in, impressed at that run. I, I'm rubbish at these sort of football stats. I just watch the games and they go in out one ear out the other. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to correct you, but that does seem incredible. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, first and foremost, what a record that is. Credit mostly to Klopp for that run. Um, but yeah, of course, you have to be nervous that it'll end at the weekend. Um, it's I, I wouldn't write Liverpool off, but you know, it, even with the with the sort of steps in the right direction, we saw them before Real Madrid, and then you know, an inform opponent came to town and and blew it away. Um, Liverpool showed it could compete in those sort of games. Obviously, it r- ran into that two goal lead, and then it was individual errors really. So that could have been very very different. Um, so yeah, w- you'd hope that. Liverpool can do the same sort of damage they did to Real Madrid and then manage to do that while, while tightening up at the back. It's exactly the same dilemma we've been talking about on and off throughout the whole podcast, really. But um, yeah, there's ways Liverpool can hurt Manchester United. It's just I'm very wary of the ways that Manchester United can hurt Liverpool as well. Uh, Marcus Rashford being a big one. Um, I think we've got a piece coming up from from Josh Williams today about um, how Canate could be could be the answer to that. You know, he's, he was preferred in the Champions League final last year essentially to deal with that kind of similar sort of threat in behind that directness that pace we couldn't field him against Real Madrid this time and you know you'd argue he was he was missed particularly with with Gomez having a bit of a horror show on the night um so so yeah that'll be a battle to watch that'll be very interesting uh but yeah I, I think it comes down to uh to how tight Liverpool can keep it I think going forward the likes of Nunes the likes of Salah can 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 produce those moments where where they'll be able to find the goal um, and obviously Anfields will be will be well up for it, like we saw against Real Madrid. So, yeah, there, there's reasons to be optimistic, but at the same time, it's it's a bit of a scary one. Yeah, um, Matt Addison and I had a conversation on, on the last episode about whether or not this is kind of a must-win, and Matt didn't necessarily think so. And I think with the kind of three points in the bag from Wolves, we don't need to necessarily overreact if we don't win. Um, but you hope that we can kind of, um, with it kind of being that, that, that cliche of, um, a derby game and and how you can kind of divide the form book in those. Um, I think certainly the the goal between two sides in the table, hopefully Liverpool kind of close that up and, and show the, the best version of themselves um, in that one. Um, and, you know, there is kind of reason to feel more optimistic now, I think, off the back of um, obviously the, the results against Real Madrid and Palace kind of sapped all that, but now um, a little bit of a coming back. So it's kind of the emotional rollercoaster continues with that. I mean, you're right to mention Rashford. Obviously, I mean his his records and say I think I think I was wondering how kind of close he was going to get to um, you know the Vardy record of of consecutive goals. But I think there was kind of one game where he didn't manage to score. Other than that, he'd be kind of pushing it, if not overtaking it already. I mean, it's crazy the the regularity of his goals um, at the moment. But he kind of he seems to score against Liverpool. Certainly at Old Trafford every year. Um, the the one that really that worries me, kind of the fresh worry. Um, and he didn't play in the reverse fixture, which incidentally was a game that I think Liverpool actually launched the Ten Hag era, because if we remember where United were in the first couple of games of the season, you know, this was really the win that they used as a platform, um, which is unfortunate. But um, the player who worries me is Casemiro, to be fair, because and he obviously isn't going to be the necessarily the most direct threat, but you just feel like... United can cope so much better with adversity having a player like him in the team and they can ride out the spells of pressure Liverpool are going to put them under. And, and that's before you consider his ability to kind of dominate um, in the midf- midfield um, as well. Um, and just, yeah, that kind of, that gamesmanship, that guile kind of thing, he's kind of unmatched in that field. 
Um, and so he's the one that I look at and think makes Man United kind of a much more fearsome opponent, certainly, in addition to kind of obviously a few of the players who've improved. But, you know, he's definitely um, the centrepiece of that. So let's see what Liverpool can do. I mean, it would arguably be the best day of the season so far if Liverpool can get this victory. Um, because as United get better, they get more unlikable. So it would be much more uh, much more satisfying um, to, to land the blow on them this time. But let's finish off by looking at Liverpool's potential lineup. If we assume, James, that uh, Robertson will come back in to the side uh, on the left, what, what other changes would you be looking to make from the team from yesterday, if any at all, obviously? I mean, I'd be shocked if Elliot keeps his place. Um, no disrespect to how he did against against Wolves. Like I say, he had his moments, but it's not that sort of game Liverpool needs to be as, as sort of tight as it can in the middle. There, there will be transitions that hurt them, you know, for all of Manchester United's improvement. They are, to some extent, still a transitions team. Like, again, like you would say with early clock, it'll be interesting to see how they adapt when teams start changing how they approach games against them that, that's always the sort of the uh, the litmus test of, of teams who are heading in the right direction that they always reach that sort of crossroads um so yeah Liverpool don't want to make it easy for them they want to make it as tight as possible in the middle so I think you know the, the, the options aren't inspiring that's sort of the problem with the midfield at the minute but I imagine for being here by set it will keep their place and then maybe they're joined by Henderson as just a very sort of workman-like midfield um yeah, I don't know whether that'll be the answer or not, but I, I think that's probably what Klopp will do. Um, in the attack, it's it's hard to call. I think maybe knowing Klopp, it could be a game where he sort of springs from what would be a bit of a surprise at this point and sort of chucks Amino back in there just as you know the the most trusted lieutenant over the years. He knows the system inside out. Klopp's going to want to have that sort of pressing performance. He knows that that's that's a sort of reliable way that he can still hurt teams, especially teams who are intent on playing out from the back, which you would class Manchester United as. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him come in through the middle and then maybe Nunes and Salah either side. Yeah, and we've got um, a uh, a free midweek after this game. Um, so Klopp maybe doesn't have to worry as much about kind of um, fatigue as, as he will do next weekend with the second leg against Real Madrid um, coming up after that one. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Thanks very much, James. I should have mentioned at the top of the podcast, actually, um, that James is a writer at Liverpool.com and I'll put the link to uh, his uh, Twitter in the profile and do read all of the articles um, that James posts on there. Um, So, yeah, we'll be back after the Man United game. If you're listening on an audio platform, please, please take the time to give us a uh, positive review. I think on Spotify, it's just a a star rating, so a five-star rating there would be hugely appreciated. You can also uh, subscribe to the podcast so it appears in your feed and you can put notifications on as well. And you can also do that on YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell and also like the video and comments as well if you enjoyed it. So thanks very much for listening. And like I say, we'll be back um, after that Manchester United game to see if Liverpool have, have managed to beat their biggest rivals. But until then, take care.